0: The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Thank you, Bill. Uh, I'd like to just repeat that verse 19 so you hear that again. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus talking to his disciples when he's going to lead them for one final time, going to be with his father. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we've heard these words so many times, but, but we don't really fully understand their impact. So Lord, we pray that you would help us, help us to understand in these few moments. Preacher is going to say a few words and try to try to give some kind of understanding, but Lord, we're going to need your spirit to speak to ours because ultimately we need you to give us your wisdom. So in these few moments, Lord, open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say, not what the preacher has to say, but what you have to say to us. Speak to us, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Well, as I told the children earlier, um, today is Trinity sunday it's it's one of those sundays that kind of comes and goes and maybe because beginning of summer pools opening people going to the beach graduations that we just kind of we don't it comes and goes we we just don't we don't grasp the importance of trinity sunday it's not like easter or christmas it's not like pentecost it's not like some of these other times in the christian year that really have an impact trinity sunday is ho hum you know but but it's an important time for us to kind of pause for a moment and try to try to understand what this whole concept of trinity is all about the word itself is not in the bible so if you want to go and to your concordance and try to find all the instances of trinity appearing in the bible you won't find it uh, in fact, there are some denominations that uh, uh, really don't accept the concept tr- of Trinity. Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, for instance, um, uh, they believe in Jehovah, of course, one God. Uh, but this concept of Jesus and the Holy Spirit being one with Jehovah, it's, it's kind of, um, it's foreign to them. But for most Christians, we We believe in one God, one God. We're monotheistic, just like the Jewish faith and the Muslim faith. We share that concept of a single God. So why do we sing that hymn, holy, 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 you know, merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity? And why do we take children and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? If we believe in one God, why why do we keep talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, but the Bible certainly talks about this concept of three in one. Let's take, for instance, the, the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I happen to have had the privilege of being in that garden on the Mount of Olives, and I can see why Jesus struggled so much in the garden uh, when the soldiers were coming for him because you could look across the Kidron Valley and see the, see the city of Jerusalem. I mean, and if you're a really good football player, you could probably throw a football across that Kidron Valley and hit hit the wall of, the, of Jerusalem. Um, but but the Kidron Valley was very deep, and so you couldn't just come straight across. You had to go around the Kidron Valley. So there he was in the garden, and he could probably see the soldiers with their torches coming around the Kidron Valley, coming to him. It probably took the greater part of an hour for them to come around the Kidron Valley to reach him in the Garden of Gethsemane. No wonder, as he sat there and prayed, he prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He had not what I want, but what you want. He was struggling. But notice, he's praying to his father, Jesus praying, my father. And then when he is finally arrested and, and tried and convicted and and then nailed to a cross. As he is hanging on the cross, he looks down at the people, many of them who probably only hours before had been crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And he looks down and he sees the soldiers that nailed the nails in his hands and his feet. And he looks down and he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. Clearly, he's talking to somebody else that he's calling Father. And then after the resurrection, when he comes out of that tomb and he makes his way to the room where the disciples were holding up in fear behind closed doors, he comes to them and he shows Thomas his hands and his, and his side and his feet, and he shows that he really is the Jesus who was crucified, that he has risen. What does he say to his disciples when he knows they are going to have to kind of make it on their own in just a few days he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit as though <coughs> as though the Holy Spirit is separate somehow, different. So he speaks to the Father, he speaks to the Holy Spirit, and of course he himself is Jesus. The, see, the three seem to be separate beings. And yet, if we go back in time, just before he goes... To um, raise Lazarus from the dead. He's standing in the temple, teaching the people, and, and he makes this ast- extraordinary statement. He says, the Father and I are one. You can find it in John 10, 30. The Father and I are one. And, and John tells us that the, the people in the temple, they pick up stones, and they're ready to kill them. And Jesus asks them, he, he says, why are you... Why are you trying to stone me? Is there something that I have done that you don't like? And, and and the people, they reply. John tells us what they say. They said, no, it has nothing to do with what you've done. It's what you've just said. You pro, You say you are God. It's blasphemy. They were going to kill him because he had blasphemed. So clearly in John's gospel, in the temple, Jesus is equating himself with the father that he prays to in Gethsemane. And Luke tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit following his baptism. That's Luke 4 1. He was, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Something called the Holy Spirit was he was full of it. So so you see, and there are many other instances where clearly there's a there's this strange thing going on. On the one hand, they seem to be separate, and on the other hand, they seem to be one. Separate and yet one. Well, people over the centuries have tried to make some sense of this, and so they started coming up with various metaphors, and in a way, I sort of suggested a a kind of metaphor with the children's message this morning with with the the square that lives in flat land and the sphere that lives in spaceland, one that only knows two dimensions, the other that knows three dimensions. All that is to say is, wow, it's kind of hard for us to understand. It's like asking a fish to describe water. You know, it's, how do you do that? Well, some of the metaphors used, one is the egg, of course. The egg has a shell and then it has the yolk and it has the white sort of three in one. They all can make up the egg, but yet there are these three separate components. But many theologians would say, no, that doesn't work because you see the yolk is separate from the white and they are separate from the shell. So it's not quite the Trinity. Good try, but no, it won't work. Well, how about St. Patrick, when he was trying to uh, teach some Irish chieftains about the Trinity, he saw three leaf clover, according to legend, and he picks up the clover and he says, this is what the Trinity is like. You know, each leaf Leaf represents a different component of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and, And together they make one clover. And then again, theologians would say, well, that doesn't do either, because if you cut off one of the little leaves, you don't really have the whole clover. You've already, you know, cut it out, even though they're all composed of the same matter. So it's a little better than the than the egg analogy, but Others say, no, we've got a better one. How about water? Water, H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Yes, in a solid state, when it's cold enough, it's ice. And when it gets a little warmer, it becomes liquid, you know, that we can drink. And then if it gets really hot, it becomes, it, you know, it uh, becomes vapor. All the same thing. And and then, you know, uh, Chemists and physicists would say, well, it's not quite the same thing, even though it is, it's all H2O, it's a little bit different, there, there, things happen, you see, and so you can't, and, and in fact, think about it, when it's in a vapor state, it's not in the solid state, and when it's in a solid state, it's not in the liquids, you know, I don't know. Others say, how about an apple? An well, Apple will do. Apple kind of like the egg, you know, you've got the, you've got the peel, the peeling of the apple is one part. And then you have the meat or the flesh of the apple. And then you have the seeds in the apple, you know, and they're the father, son, and Holy spirit. And together it makes up an apple. Years ago, I had a children's sermon where I wanted the children to, you know, come up with the number of seeds in the apple and I cut it open and there wasn't a single seed in that apple it was so oh my goodness it was and you know years later one of the children's mother uh, said said to me her son still asks will that man with the magic apple come back to our church you know <laughs> so uh, so you can't count on the Apple having all three parts anyway but but still if you got an apple with a seed it's still you got the same problem well if if, if the Holy Spirit is the f- seed well wait a second it's not quite the the flesh of the apple. I don't know. So it doesn't work too well. How about well, some people say, well, a man can be a father and could be a son and could be a brother, and but it's just one man. That seems, that feels a little bit better, you know, but then others would say, but when they're, when they're in that relationship of brother, they're, they're not the father. And when they're father, they're not, the, you know, I don't know. My favorite is uh, one that I just learned more recently, and that is three-in-one shampoo. You know, body wash, uh, shampoo, and conditioner all in one. Well, again, a chemist would say, well, the conditioner is a little different. Uh, Anyway point is all metaphors that we come up with for the Trinity, they're going to fall short. They're just not going to work. And there are some theologians that I've read that said, don't ever give a metaphor for the Trinity because no matter what you give, it's going to be blasphemy. It's going to be heresy. So just stop it. I don't know. I think that's a little harsh because I think these metaphors, these analogies can be helpful, but we have to realize that even in their helpfulness, they're they are limited. they They don't, really do justice to what the Trinity is all about. So how do we explain being one and yet separate? Over the centuries, the Trinity shield has been used to help explain that. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, but each one is God. That that can be helpful, but it's sort of like one of those... Uh, one of those drawings that, uh, where if you walk on the stairs, you 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 end up somewhere else that's impossible to end up. You know, maybe that's maybe that's helpful. Well, many people simply call the Trinity a mystery, and they're comfortable just simply saying it's a mystery. The that flat square will never really understand the three-dimensional world of the sphere. It just. It just isn't going to happen. It's a mystery. But mystery or not, we speak of the Trinity all the time, and we use the concept of the Trinity all the time. Whenever we baptize babies or adults, we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus sent out his disciples uh, that we read about in the scriptures, the, the scripture lesson this morning, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He didn't just simply go out there and baptize people. He said, go out there and baptize them in the name of the Trinity. When a bride and groom come before the altar, if we're, if we're using the United Methodist uh, liturgy, After they make their vows and they exchange their rings, during the exchange of the rings, they speak these words in token and pledge of our constant faith and abiding love with this ring I thee wed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Often when a pastor uh, sends off people with a benediction, The pastor will conclude the the benediction with in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, So we use the concept. And so maybe that suggests it's important for us to maybe think about it for a while. That's why we set aside this day, Trinity Sunday, so we can think about it in a way that we might not any other day. A story is told of a kindergarten teacher who had a little boy that was having a hard time putting his boots on. It was in the middle of the winter and he was struggling. Oh, he was struggling to get it. You you would think that the boots were the wrong size because he he just couldn't get them on his feet. And so the teacher, she knelt down and she struggled with that boy and she pulled and she yanked and she pushed the foot and she, oh, and finally she got the boots on the little boy. And little boy looked up in the eyes of the teacher and said, they're on the wrong feet. <laughs> so she starts struggling and pushing and pulling, trying to get those boots off again. It was just as hard to get them off as it was to get them on. And finally got the boots off and she switched them and she put the right boot on the right foot and the left boot on the left foot and struggled and sweated and just pulled and pushed and finally got the boots on for the second time. And the little boy looked up at the teacher and said, they're not my boots. (laughs) So she struggled and pushed and pulled and got the boots off. And when they were finally off his feet, he looked at the teacher and he said, they're my brothers and my mommy wanted me to wear them to school today because she couldn't find mine. So for the third time, she pulled and yanked and pushed and got the boots on the boy's feet. And she was finally, she stood up in success. And, the, and she said, now, where are your mittens? And the boy said, they're in the toes of my boots. <laughs> you know, sometimes we need a teacher to help us put our boots on. We need a teacher to understand this mystery of the Trinity. We need a teacher to be with us as we struggle. You know, life is full of boots that don't fit. Life is full of difficulties that we don't predict or plan for. And they come our way sometimes like a monsoon or, you know, a tsunami And they overwhelm us. And we need someone, a teacher, who will be with us there and will sweat with us and will will help us through those difficult times. You see, we need to remember that we're not alone in this world. And God comes to us in three very distinct ways. And if if there's no other purpose for the Trinity, it's to help us to understand three ways that God comes to us that that is significant and can make a difference in our lives. First of all, God comes to us as a creator. Call that God father or mother or creator God. Call God whatever you want. But God, the creator, is the one that brought everything into being, the one who created the sun and the moon and the planets and the stars and you and me. And then God created us in God's image. And so the creation goes on and often through us, not only through us, but often through us. That's why we're so creative as human beings. That's why we we have people like Phil that can sing his way out of anything. And then, and why we have people that can create wonderful works of art, because you see, that's, that's the creative God that's within us. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. We're being made new every day. God didn't just create the universe and walk away, but God continues to create every day, every moment, every second. God is creating. We're being made new just like the universe. Stars are being born, planets reshaped, solar systems jostled about. God the Father, you see, is alive and well in every new piece of art, in every piece of music, every painting, every, every song that we sing, every new bridge that we build, every building that we construct, every new idea. God the Creator is there. You see, God doesn't just help us put on our boots, but God helps us make the boots. God also comes to us as Redeemer, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh, the incarnate God. And every time we fall on our face and make a mistake or hurt somebody else or ourselves, every time we kind of mess things up terribly, God the Redeemer is there. You can see him on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing think about it. Where would we be in our lives without forgiveness? Where would the world be if there was no forgiveness? Jesus, the son shows us, Jesus embodies forgiveness for us, that unconditional love of God. When I was in kindergarten, I was a little wild. Uh, When I was in kindergarten, we were up in New York. We lived on a little island called Governor's Island. And I remember, and, and you, can, you can imagine how important a memory this would be that I still remembered. I'm no spring chicken, and I'm remembering kindergarten. But I remember being on the bus, being taken to school. I like to be on the back because on the back, in the back of the bus, you could, kinda, you could hang on to the two seats, and you could swing and dance and sing and make all kinds of noise, hopefully out of the reach of the bus driver. Well, on this particular day, I was just having a grand old time. I was really whooping it up. And the bus driver finally stopped the bus and said, Alvin, if you don't shape up, I'm going to take you home. Well, I thought that was funny. You know, that that just made my morning because bus driver going to take me home, sure. I've never seen that done before. It ain't going to happen this morning. So I just kept on, and the bus driver drove to my home. It was a small island so you know I I, I don't, to this day I don't know how he knew where I lived. I don't maybe somebody turned me in one of the other kids. I don't know. All I know is he drove up to my home. It was a duplex. He took me out of the bus and took me up to that door, knocked on the door and told my parents what I had done. And my dad had to take me to school that morning and I was so embarrassed. Well, years later, when I went to seminary, part of my training was to be in therapy. And I, and I remember t- recounting this story to my therapist and the therapist said, well, uh, now you've told me the, about the bus driver and your dad, but where's your mom? Where's your mother in all this? I said, you know, I don't know. I don't see her. I don't see her in my mind's eye. I, but she had to be there. I said, she had to be there. She didn't work outside the home. Uh, so I when the bus driver brought me home, she had to be there. But, but I didn't, I don't, I just don't remember. I don't I don't see her in my in my memory. And the therapist said, Well, look, just I want you to close your eyes and just imagine her there. I want you to tell me what you see. And I'm telling you, it was like he pushed a button and the Tears just came. I, I mean, I just wept. And I could barely get it out of my mouth. I, I see her, and she's standing there, and she's shaking her head. She's just shaking her head. She's not saying anything. I said, what, what I hear her feeling is so ashamed. You know, I don't know that my mother was doing that. She was a gentle, wonderful soul. I, I, but you see, that's what I was feeling was shame. So, don't you, know, you see, we all need somebody in this world that gives us unconditional love that says, you know, yeah, you messed up. But you know what? I still love you. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's the importance of God the Redeemer. We all need God to help us put on our boots over and over and over again because we mess up. Even when we leave our mittens in the toes, we need a God who will help us get to them. And then finally, God the sustainer, better known as the Holy Spirit, one Jesus called the Advocate. This is God who gives us the power to do the right thing, to say the right thing, to go where we don't want to go, to do the things that we don't want to do. That's the God that's very important for us. Mark tells us, That when Jesus came up out of the water of his baptism, the spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. It does not say the spirit asked him politely, would you mind? Would you like to go to the wilderness for a while? No, it says, Mark says that the spirit, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. It is the Holy Spirit that led Philip on that desert road. Do you think he went on the, He wanted to go on that desert road for a vacation near Gaza? No, he was sent there by the Holy Spirit. He was sent probably where he did not want to go because there was a man, an Ethiopian eunuch, that was waiting for him so he could be converted to the Christian faith. It's the Spirit of God who sustains our faith when it is tested and broken down and falters in my first church, we built a sanctuary. We used we worshiped in a fellowship hall. That's all we had other than some classrooms. And we finally got to the point that we could build a sanctuary. And so we built this sanctuary and it was new, wonderful, and we were getting ready to open it. And we had a Korean congregation that was meeting in our fellowship hall on Sunday afternoons. And so the big topic of conversation in our congregation was, will we let the Korean congregation meet in our new pretty sanctuary? And one of the leading opposition to that, the leading opponents of that idea was uh, the husband of my secretary who happened to be the uh, leading trustee in the church and he was dead set against it no we're not going to have them in in our new sanctuary and foul up our pews and our and bring their Korean smells into the in you know their food that they make into our sanctuary no we got to keep that clean they can stay in the fellowship hall and you know as pastors we Phil and I have talked about this a number of times they said you know there are a lot of battles you have to fight in the church and you can't fight them all and, and sometimes you've got to find that battle that you know you have to fight and I knew as a young pastor. This was a battle I had to fight. And I knew if I lost it, I'd be gone, but I had to fight it. The Holy Spirit was driving me to fight this battle. And so there was a lot of conversation and I wrote about it on our newsletter and we, and we discussed it in many settings. And then we had our big church council meeting where the decision would be made and where a vote would be taken and so we we set the chairs up in our fellowship hall in a great big circle so we could kind of talk to each other and so we could converse with each other as we struggled with what we were going to do as a congregation. And And what amazed me, there were, you know, going into that meeting, at least half, if not more, were opposed to the Koreans going into our new sanctuary. But one after another, as we continued the conversation, people would stand. The man who led the opposition to the Koreans was named Roland and one after another someone would stand and say Roland I love you like a brother but you're wrong one after another they shared what they believed to be what God was telling them this church needed to do And by the time the conversation ended, we were all holding hands and praying together, and the vote was unanimous for the Koreans to be a part of our worshiping community. It was not my doing. It was not anyone else's doing but the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that is that driving influence in our lives, that power that God gives us that we don't have uh, by ourselves. When our boots just don't want to go on our feet, the Holy Spirit is there to help. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is indeed a mystery, but it helps us understand three important ways that God comes to us to help us with our boots let us pray Lord thank you for your willingness to be part of our lives help us to always remember that we're not alone Amen